Popcorn Poops is brought to you by Audible.com. Please visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for a free audiobook and free 30-day trial of their subscription service. Audible is the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. Audible.com is offering a free audiobook download to listeners of Popcorn Poops along with a 30-day trial of their services. This week we're recommending Timeline by Michael Crichton, narrated by John Bedford Lloyd. To download this or another audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops. Be sure to visit the correct URL so they know we sent you, and you'll be helping to support our show. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for your free audiobook. We are the Popcorn Poops. Hey everyone and welcome to Popcorn Poops, the best married couple movie podcast slash commentary track hybrid audio program on the internet. My name is Jessica. And I'm Dustin. This month our theme is anime films and my pick for this week's episode is Mamoru Hosoda's The Girl Who Leapt Through Time from 2006. If you are syncing this recording up to the movie, go ahead and start the film and then press pause as soon as the horizontal red line in the opening shot is visible. It's time to start the movie. Sinkers, press play at the beat after the countdown. Ready? Three, two, one. And we're off with our second anime film in our month of anime films. And uh, this is this this is your pick this week. It um, is. My history with this movie. I think we saw this for the first time together. I think we did too. Um, actually, that's that's how a lot of things go these days. We most of the things we watch we watch together for the first time. Uh, but it was soon after we moved to Japan about five years ago. Mm. And in watching this movie, uh, well, the first time I watched this movie, I really, really loved it. Uh, I thought it was just beautiful and sweet and touching and had just a little bit of that science fiction element to, in it to make it kind of special or interesting yeah. or to set it apart. Uh, and I think that it's really interesting that now that I've come back to this movie after five years in Japan, my opinion of it has changed pretty drastically, and I think it's kind of representative of of uh, my being in Japan and experiencing Japan and understanding the culture more yeah. here. Um, I thought I thought I knew Japan before I came here. I was yes, I was pretty cocky about it. I was pretty cocky that I had watched enough anime and that I had um, I had been interested in the culture and stuff for long enough that I that I really understood it and and uh I mean to the point that you know like I'd I'd argue with people about stuff about what I thought that that Japanese culture was all about I mean I was kind of an insufferable know-it-all yeah and (laughs) then and then I got here and I realized I guess here is very humbling yeah it's very humbling that I really didn't know very much about it and not to say that I I know so much about it now but I definitely know a lot more about what Japan really is and what Japanese culture really is like. So for those of you who don't know us personally or haven't been listening for a long time or haven't been following us, uh, we we live in Japan and we've been here for it'll be five years this year. And you speak Japanese really well and uh, not that well, but, <laughs> but thank <laughs> really you. Really <laughs> well, and I and I speak it like I'm a kindergarten student. So <laughs> well, that that works because you teach kindergarten, right? See, so. I mean, that's basically where I learned my Japanese. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Um, that, well, I'm really fair. good at my numbers and colors. 
I can talk about what food yeah. I like. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so this movie, my like I said, my first experience this movie was really positive. I would say that now I'm I'm still positive on this movie. I th- still think it's pretty sweet, and I think it's it's a beautiful movie. I think the animation is great. Um, uh, the music is fitting, uh, if kind of repetitive, uh, and I still like the science fiction elements more or less. But uh, taking a good hard close look at this movie. There's stuff in it, and we'll get into it, but there's stuff in it that bothers me kind of – there's stuff that's kind of culturally impenetrable to me now and things that I've come to understand and learn about Japanese culture that don't quite mesh with my right. more Western sensibilities. Well, I mean, the thing is, is, and I'm sure that every expat I've ever met here, and I've met a lot of them, um, most of our friends are all expats, yes. so uh, – generally you come to learn that it doesn't really matter where it is in the world that you live, but once you live somewhere else, then you have this revelation of there are things that suck everywhere, no matter that's what. That's true. That's, that's true. But you become the, a, a the, little, in different ways, it's different for everyone, but you become embittered about certain <laughs> things. Well, well, before you move to another country, there's a romance because it's it's a mystery. It's oh, yeah. This, it's this great place that's that's got to be perfect. And, and then when you get there, you realize that, oh, wow, it's just like back home. There are things that drive me crazy and there are things that I love. And yeah, exactly. There's, there, are, there are lots of things about Japan that I prefer over the United States where, and then, up, where we grew up. And, and that's totally true. And yeah. then there are things about it that after being here for a long time, I absolutely can't stand. And... And unfortunately, some of the messages in this movie that when I watched it the first time, I just breezed over. It was just, oh, whatever, whatever. And yeah. I just breezed over it. Now I look at them and I just want to like strangle some of the characters. Yeah, so. exactly. It's like, come on, just God, uh. do something. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 rough. But we'll, you know. But we'll, let's catch up on, on what's happened so far. The beginning of the movie, uh, we see our main character, Makoto, and she is having a dream about playing baseball with her friends, Chiaki and Kosuke. Chiaki has kind of orangish hair, and Kosuke is kind of a little bit more buttoned down, a little hunkier, I guess, mm-hmm. is the, the best way to describe him. He's got kind of a crop top thing going on. And she you can tell right off that she's kind of tomboyish. Yeah. She's playing baseball. She's got, she's got really short hair. Right, she's not wearing her, her neckerchief that goes with her, her uh, school uniform. She's, you know, untucked and unbuttoned and, you know, really short, scruffy hair, like you said. Um, and uh, in while they're playing baseball, she thinks she's hears something before you know, pitching because she's pitching and she talks about her sister eating her pudding and she mentions these things and then a baseball launches up into the sky and then comes back down as, as an alarm clock and falls on her face and she realizes she's late for school. And we're going to get imagery like that throughout this entire movie. Constantly mm-hmm. references to time, references to clocks and things like that exactly. because it's a time travel movie. So And something that I think is is a little bit more subtle, the there are numerous baseball playing sequences throughout mm-hmm. the movie. And I think that they're kind of semiotic cinematic shorthand for the current state of these primary characters relationships and their level of mm, communication. Yeah. Who's there, who's not there. Exactly. And like we'll see lots of there's lots of close ups, but they're mixed in with lots of very, very, you know, long shots and wide shots. Uh and I think they do represent kind of in the physical space the emotional distance between these characters at varying points throughout the movie. That's that makes sense. I get that. And in the beginning I think they're all pretty much equal distances from each other. They're all the three of them are standing there playing baseball together and uh, and I think the relationships are pretty balanced at that point. Yeah. Um, and then throughout the movie, we'll see the same baseball shot, but 
in different ways. Yeah, framed because different their relationship yeah, exactly. is different. That um, makes sense. And I and I think from like that filmmaking standpoint, the shot choices and stuff like that are meaningful throughout the movie. Um, although there there's a there are a couple of things thrown in here that I'm going to talk about that are a little bit weird to me. I don't know if you noticed Schrodinger's cat later in the movie hmm? just shows up for no reason. Schrodinger's cat. No. Yeah, I'll point it out when it shows up, but it's it's kind of out of place and doesn't make any sense, and it's really strange that it's in here. Um, so some of the stuff we missed that I wanted to mention was, uh, well, we had the nice day thing, uh, yeah, which probably for for people who are listening and who don't know Japanese, then you can go ahead and explain that. I mean, it's really simple, but they they call today the the newscaster. Calls today nice day. Yeah, it's and, a nice, nice. It. And that comes because today is July thirteenth in the movie, and right. the numbers for July thirteenth would be seven, and then one, one and, and three. three. Um, Nanato ichito san, the numbers in Japanese, and they take the first syllables and the first sounds. Kind of, I mean, it's not really the first syllables because it. san is right, exactly. not. They flub it. So if you take the first nice part saw. if you take the per- first part of nana which is na and you take the first part of ichi which is e and you take the first part of san which is sa you would actually get nice sa <laughs> but they just flub it and they say oh it's a nice day it's a nice day right so so that's cute um uh one of the first things that hit me this time that that sort of like grazed against my face like a like oh, a yeah. cheese grater oh, you know no. like really really you okay? unfor- unfortunately um i think i saw that in a horror movie last night i did and that's oh, did why you? that image oh, is okay, in my I head see. uh housebound which was really fun i fell asleep um you shouldn't have you suck <laughs> uh the mom when she gives the peaches to her daughter to go take to her aunt uh the mom says uh ask your aunt when she's finally going to get married and I'm just like, oh, shut the, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> who cares? Explain when it. She's, why, who why? cares when she's because um, because of course in in Japan I think way more so than in the in the states. Um, in the West in general, I think the concept of an of an old maid is uh, totally fine now in the West. In the West, yeah, it's kind of it's almost representative of like a, an independent an independent career driven woman who didn't have time for that nonsense, and that's perfectly acceptable yeah, because that's okay, she's, she she's, made her choices and that's she's fine. She's done yeah. her own and she's done her own thing and she's hopefully succeeded or whatever or I didn't. Think, it I doesn't matter. Can, I think you can owe that kind of feeling though in part to the you know women's liberation movement and and feminism and stuff like and that. And that hasn't really happened here that very much. No, Japan's not quite that. I mean, they had a movement. They had a movement in Japan. Um, it yeah. just didn't do much. It's very quiet. It was very very <laughs> very quiet. And uh, yeah, Japan is just not that like as far as gender politics go, it's not terribly progressive. But it's much better, however, than a lot of other Asian countries, as I understand. My friends yeah. who've who've taught over in Korea specifically have had their fair share of complaints, like um, not being able to do things until they convince people that they don't have a husband or something who should be doing it instead, like signing yeah. documents or things like that. Um, but it's getting better all the time, though. I, I, there was some legislation that was recently uh, proposed about how uh, women cannot be discriminated against or be given f- any unfair treatment for how they handle their maternity leave or how they handle maternity in the workplace. That's um, good. 
So, yeah. but anyways, though, uh, my whole my, my whole point is that it just rubbed me the wrong way because right off I'm listening to all the people who who compliment me on things like you vacuum so well, you're going to be such a great wife and things like that, and I just want to explode. Um, yeah. So, but but the idea of a woman who doesn't get married here is not a very positive image, and obviously the mother agrees with that standard. Um, uh, in case you were wondering, in the cooking class, the things on the board that they were going to cook sure. uh, were, besides, they were cooking tempura, which is like the fried foods uh, dish that you, yeah. pretty common. Other things that were on the list in Japanese were cake, tonkatsu, mm-hmm. pasta, and pizza. Yes, that's right. With all the ingredients and stuff written up there in Japanese. So, that's cute. The one thing I wanted to mention also about the intro was the whole scene with her dialogue while she was talking about who she is. She was talking about her personality. Right. Um, and, and we were watching her morning progress as she was talking about like how, uh, how she, she doesn't have a lot of, she's more lucky than not. And, and she, no one could call her stupid and she's not really clumsy. Now, typically when, when I watch that kind of stuff and when I see that kind of stuff in an anime, I, I roll my eyes and I just don't want to deal with it because it's an overused way to get past those so unimportant details like characterization to right. just say them out loud. Yeah. Um, but, however, I think just that... Just bypass any and all subtlety. Right. And- let's just say it. Um, but... Actually, I started to think that, but then I was proved wrong, and I felt like the movie actually did something unique with it, because while she's explaining how she's more lucky than not, and how no one could call her stupid, and how she's not really clumsy, the action going on behind her completely contradicts that. We see her get a nine on her test, we see her start a fire in cooking class, and we see her being hit with a boy who is literally thrown at her, Um, and... And what we actually learn from her character in this scene is not that she is or is not lucky, uh, lucky, unlucky, clumsy, or smart. You can determine what you ever want out of that from the events. But that she doesn't know herself. Right. That that she's saying these things about her and the things that are happening are contradictory to that. And that means she doesn't know who she right. is. And that feeds into the ongoing theme and what I think is the central theme of in the movie. And that is of knowing kind of your next step or planning ahead or mm-hmm. looking forward. And it, this movie is very kind of, um, it's very much against the notion of being directionless. Yes. That, that Because Japanese society is very much against the, the notion, notion of, of being directionless. Exactly. So. And that's, that's one of the, that's probably my biggest issue. Uh, and the fact that it's with the central theme in the movie is, is problematic for me uh, in, enjoying this movie as much as I think I did when I first saw it. Uh, but yeah, all of that feeds in. We've even we got see a... her not being able to decide between, in the most basic scene, she has to choose between science or humanities, I presume for college, uh, college study. I presume it's for college orientation. I was, yeah, I was just about to say that she, you know, just after the scenes where she uh, messes up and starts the fire in home ec and gets, you know, run into by that boy that's thrown across the courtyard and all that stuff, which are all images that will come back up, you know, frequently throughout the movie because you know they're setups for different kinds of events that move the story along um all of that stuff kind of comes to 
you know, a point in that scene where that feels like this is what the movie's trying to say about this character is that she doesn't know what she wants to do with her life because she doesn't really know what kind of a person she is. She has really high opinions of herself, but I think they're also very tempered opinions where she says, oh, well, I'm smart, but I'm not that smart. And then she fucks up on a test and it's like, I'm not really that clumsy. And then she does something super clumsy. So, you know, I, I think that the way the movie frames her, I think the way the movie builds her character is very effective because I, I feel like she is uh, a living, breathing person. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, which is definitely to this this movie's credit. Uh, yeah, I think I like Makoto. I do too. I like her a lot. Um, I, I I like I like the way she reacts to things. I like um, I I like the way she reacts to the relationship stuff. I like the way she reacts to the boys. I think it's very real. I like how she's totally oblivious to both of them. You know, having crushes on her. And, yeah. And I think all that stuff is really endearing. I think that the vocal performance by uh, Disa Naka is very, very good, very mm-hmm. convincing. Um, except for the crying scenes. Except for the crying scenes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, I the th- I think my problem with the character is that the movie doesn't seem to like her very much, or the movie doesn't mm-hmm. think that she's the best person that she could be. Doesn't think that she's she's doing okay right she's got to get it together right i think she's fine where she is i think that you know her being just good enough for where she is right now is fine for a 17 year old like come on it's she's 17 years just old leave her alone just leave her alone she's totally fine she's not like she's, she's going not a to delinquent school. she's going to school <laughs> she's she's studies somewhat so I mean she, I mean, so she made it to class, to class on time but she wasn't even late she wasn't even late she, she made teacher. it exactly <laughs> She was just, you know, not up and bright and early. I'm I'm about to be 28 and I still am like running out the door, you know, with five minutes right. to go before work. So, so whatever. And I hold a job. So, so like it's, you know, it's ridiculous. I think that the, the kind of expectations that are put on her in this movie and, and sadly that being a representation. Oh, is that supposed to be Chiaki standing there? Yes, it is. The boy standing in front of where the painting was, um, or the painting is supposed to be, but of course Makoto's aunt is restoring it right now. Um, that is Chiaki standing there. And this is, dates are somewhat important in this movie. This date right here when all of the main stuff goes down, when she lands on the little walnut thing that charges up her body with all of the time leaps that she's going to be using throughout the movie. Uh, all of this happens on July 13th, that, that nice day, right? Mm-hmm. So and now she in this scene she's talking to her aunt who is probably the main character from the original Girl Who Leapt Through Time story that was published as a novel back in the 60s. This thing has had like three films, uh, a drama series or two. Of course, this animated movie, I'm sure there's been, you know, a manga. I, I know that there's at least a manga that's based off of this version of the movie and then there's a there's even a movie that came out as recently as like 2009 called Time Traveler. Yeah, the Girl I wanted to time. see it, but we never wound up seeing That actually, it. even though it's a different character from even the original story and this story, uh, the main character in that movie, as I understand it, is played by Di Sanaka, who does the vocal the performance for uh, Makoto here. Um, so the, yeah. novel, the novel is by Yasutaka Tsutsui. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tsutsui. And Tsutsui. Yeah, Tsutsui, that's right. Tsutsui. It's uh, it was serialized in seven installments back in the 1960s between 65 and 66, and then published as a novel in 67. Mm-hmm. Um, and do we know the aunt's name in this movie? They only refer to her one time, and that is as Yoshiyama-san. 
then then I don't know. The the main character in the novel is uh, Kazuko. Is the name of the girl Kazuko Yoshiyama. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so so it is. It is her. Supposed to. It's be supposed her, to be her. Then. Like the the. She's, As I understand, she's only the story is almost not identical, but it's pretty. It's pretty close. It's close. It's close. Um, yes, yeah, she's only referred to by her name one time, and she's referred to by her family name Yoshiyama, uh, and she. You know, tells these stories about her childhood throughout the movie at different points, uh, including a claim that she just said uh, in this past scene that we just saw that she too could time leap when she was a young girl, and that suggests that she might, in fact, be Kazuko Yoshiyama from the original story. Um, so I guess that makes this somewhat. Well, and we of see a, we see a picture on her mantle too of her in a school uniform we, we standing with two later, with two yeah. boys. Yes, much later, but. But I think that pretty much solidifies it. So yeah, so that it suggests that this might be something of a sequel, a spiritual sequel, mm-hmm. I guess, to the original story. By the way, if you were ever like romanticizing, you know, Japanese bathrooms, like the the tubs and stuff, and wondering if they really were as comfort comfortable and like relaxing as they look it's totally true yes they are. they are totally true they're a little short but they're very deep yeah they're super deep so even my fat ass can fit in <laughs> one and have a pleasant time yeah they're really wonderful i really love this sequence right here of uh, miyuki makoto's younger sister thinking that she's committing suicide by trying to jump out the window when in fact she's just trying to time leap again uh-huh uh, and she apologizes for eating her pudding, which was a running was gag. This about the, the pudding? Is this about the pudding? I'm sorry. I'll buy you another pudding. And you know, as as she walks out, we just saw it. But as she walks out the door, she's like, "Are you really not angry?" He's like, "No, no, I'm not angry." And then she stops, and they just wave at each other. It's, it's cute. so cute. It's there's, cute. There's lots of little moments like that in this movie that I feel like, I feel like those moments, the real slice of life elements in this movie, hold this movie up because. The narrative, I don't think, really does. I don't think the character arcs. The character arcs are actually kind. They kind of piss me off a little bit. Um, we haven't talked about how much we dislike her aunt. I don't like her aunt. But her aunt gives her the worst advice throughout this movie, and she's and she's supposed to be like the sage, right? She's framed as like this this wizened older woman who has been there and understands, and you know she she went her own way because she's you know not not exactly young anymore, but she's not married yet, and we've already been told by the mother that that's no way to be right, uh, and she she's, but she's still advising her to. She's independent. Yeah, do what everybody else does. Yeah, exactly. And in in really weird ways. Like I, I don't think I've ever had an older, like a, uh, like a person I looked up to or anything like that tell me that I should date someone, or I shouldn't date someone or whatever. But at different points throughout the movie, she's like, "Why don't you date Chiaki?" And she's like, "I don't want to." Well, you should because he's he really likes you, so you should just do whatever is good for him. <laughs> And then later when Chiaki's not available anymore, she's like, you should date Kosuke. And if you just if you don't like it, you can just jump back in time. Well, I think I think she's kind of when she's giving that sort of advice, she's sort of uh, reverse psychology. Well, that and kind of like sneakily berating her for using her time leaping frivolously. Yeah, I guess. Whatever. Anyways, um, uh, we've seen her figure out that she can leap through time now she right. went and told her aunt about it because she fell on the nut thing in the science lab she thought she saw someone in the science lab she went in there and instead she tripped and there was nobody in there and she tripped and fell on this a walnut walnut looking thing yeah. and then this super 
uh, acid trip deal happened, and um, very Van Gogh esque, like very, horses running through fields yeah, and like cavemen. The, it, the, 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 there was kind of a, a painting brushstroke vibe to it, which I feel like is a kind of a motif in this movie mm-hmm. is is painting art, and art, yeah, yeah, art in like, itself, as in the phys- physical medium. Um, um, but yeah, it's very like Van Gogh's Starry Night, I think. So, so I want to pay attention to what's going on here, though, because so she. Um, Oh, terrible CG curtain beads. Did you see yes, that? Yes, I did. Oh, they're awful. They are awful. Why? Why? I don't know. I don't know. So weird. Um, but so she she goes and tells her aunt about it because she uh, she goes down the hill on her bicycle and the brakes don't work and she flies off her bicycle and it looks like she gets pulverized by a train. But then she wakes up and... Seconds before and or, or a minute before or It's before and she didn't... She's like, oh my God, I can time bike. Yeah. And she tells her aunt and then she doesn't believe it but then she does believe it and she goes home and she runs down a hill and jumps at a river and she manages to time leap back to right before the pudding was eaten. And and I think it's cute that that's like where she goes to immediately is to find her, her, her pudding. pudding that yeah. her sister ate. Um, it's very petty, but I think that's part of what makes this movie kind of endearing. Is yeah. it's, it's a time travel movie about her going back to eat pudding, yeah. <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Um, and so, and so she she goes and she's just about to bite the pudding, but then she vanishes, and that gives me that gives me the feeling. This is this is where I start to get kind of confused here with some of the mechanics, which I never cared about the first time, the first couple mm-hmm. times I watched this movie. But on this viewing, I was really trying to pay attention and I started to get confused because um, it's like it wasn't her choice when she got thrown back into the present day. On the first time when she tries to time leap and she and she jumps down the hill from over the river mm-hmm. and she tries to eat the pudding but she vanishes when her parents and her sister look down the hall at her. She reappears to fall into the river. Right. She jumps back right to the back present. to the moment yes. that she time left from. Right back to the same moment. And um I can assume that every time she goes back to the past she's she's eventually I I feel like I should be assuming that she's eventually going to return to this timeline. Well, it's it's really strange because the first time she actually leaps with the train in front of the train, of course she doesn't leap back to the quote-unquote present because in that present she would be dead, right? So she doesn't leap back to the present then, but then when she leaps over the the river she jumps back for no reason. She comes back to the river and then jumps back again to the past and eats her pudding a second time. And then I guess just lives through that day and sleeps and gets up early. And now she's back at school, like on time, doing the right thing. She because it the was the, the pudding. The pudding got eaten on the twelfth, on the night of the twelfth. Right. And so she she on her first attempt, she leapt back to the night of the twelfth. And but here's the the part that really starts frustrating me is that. She returns to the river second a second or two later to the present day at the time that she she left like it's a second or two after it because the boys who are standing on the bank they see her vanish. Yeah, they said she disappeared for a second. One of the boys says she disappeared for a second. So time though not at the same pace is continuing to move forward even when she's in the past. It appears that way, and there's there's another moment later on that kind of confirms that. But I think that's that's less of a problem for me than the fact that she doesn't. That's the only time she actually jumps back to the present, so to speak. It, uh, but 
it's like she was pulled there against her will, though. Exactly. That never Which makes me again. feel like she's drawn to it. That's, the, I mean, why would she's pulled there against her will? Like, she didn't choose. I suppose, she didn't but timely. The, but there the, was no jump. I suppose, but the movie doesn't have anything to say about No, it, it doesn't, doesn't, but do it does that. Like that. The it first time she does time. it, it does that. Um, uh, it it just I don't know it just that, that that started to confuse me and then it also the other thing the idea that that timeline is continuing without her is something that started to upset me here and then con- like upset me later when I really thought about it because um, we never see her return to this present time again uh, we see her jump back and do things like she does well on her test she isn't worried about being late for school she goes to karaoke a few times we see her doing that right now and. And in my mind, the way I understand this, because the boys saw her vanish on the river and then time time was continuing, time continued for them, that makes me think that every time she jumps in the past, she's starting a new timeline. Right. It's a source code thing. Like in source code, he, when, when he goes back, well, okay, big spoilers for source code if you haven't seen it, but when he keeps jumping back to the train incident over and over, he realizes that eventually it, it comes forward that every time he goes back and tries again, tries to successfully... Uh, have the train not explode and kill all those people. That's a new timeline where those people die over and over and over and over again. And those are innocent deaths that he kind of feels are, you know, that weigh heavily on him, I suppose. But it's the same concept. It is. is be- and, and the difference is she's not killing someone, but she's vanishing. She vanishes from the timeline. And even if time is moving slowly it's or differently, it's still moving. And yeah. if she never returns well, to that timeline, yeah. then it's like... Her family would be looking for her. I mean, she just, right before she vanished, her sister thought she was trying to kill herself. And then she's going to vanish from that timeline forever. So what are they going to think? They're going to think she killed herself. But the movie doesn't implicate this in any significant way. It doesn't say anything... About it, because I guess it doesn't. It's it, a mistake. It, it's yeah. I it's guess just so. a plot hole. I, guess I, so. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like we need to dwell on pothole potholes on plot holes too much. Um, but they are in this movie. But they're in every time travel movie. If you try uh, to, I, if the you, time travel movies make my head hurt so much. If, like Primer. Yeah, Primer's mm-hmm. the worst. <laughs> yeah, Primer. Was, I love Primer. But I Primer didn't is love worst. it because it made my head hurt too much. I really recommend Primer. That's that would be a good one to do on popcorn poops because there's lots to talk about. It's mo- it'll just be like an hour and a half of us trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Um, we see her really enjoying herself while she's doing all this time leaping. And uh, this is the scene where where that, again, her wonderful aunt has something to say about all the fun that she's having. Um, but, she, okay, so basically in this scene, um, which I suppose is the first time that Makoto has talked to her aunt in her own timeline, right? I guess, but we don't know what day this is. We don't know what day this is, but I don't I don't know. She forgets the peaches on this day. She forgets the peaches and she goes to see her aunt. I'm, I'm going to assume it's the 13th. It's that same day because she goes through her entire day. She does everything the right way. She does, you know, she puts someone else in the line of fire in the, in the home ec room and he's the one who ends up starting the oil fire instead of her, which comes back around later. Um, but now she's seeing her aunt. She's brought her a bunch of pastries and she's just kind of laughing and cackling about how much fun it is to time leap where she can go back in time and she'll have as much allowance as she wants because every time she jumps back, it's like she never spent any money. And, you know, she's doing all this. And her aunt responds by saying, Yeah, well, 
you might be enjoying yourself, but if you're enjoying yourself too much, does that mean someone else is suffering? Which to me just makes me want to slap slap yes. myself in the forehead r- repetitively. It's um this 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 concept is that the ideal way to live in Japan is the expected way to live. Um, uh, I honestly, my sincere opinion is that this stems from geography. <laughs> I think that yeah. it comes from geography. I think it comes from the fact that this is an island and there are way too many people living on this island and they're all stuck very close together in, in most cases. And so to keep sanity, society acts in a way where they don't disturb other people. Bothering other people is like the greatest sin. So so you do that. You keep from bothering other people by um, by following the rules, by doing what's expected of you. And, and that thought process results essentially that from someone being too happy or having too much fun mm-hmm. um, means that they're probably being irresponsible and, and that thus someone else is... And they're inconveniencing someone else. Inconvenienced, right. I mean, the, the moral is basically don't enjoy life too much because the more you enjoy yourself, the more someone else suffers, which to me is a bullshit defeatist way to look at the world. And, and this comes from the ant. Again, she's supposed to be and the it's, wise it's character. And it's backed up. It's validated. It's validated the within the narrative. Yeah, exactly. It's validated because we see her actions uh, where, like, she avoids she. But it, it's only really validated in the cooking class because none of none of the other things really. I mean, the bicycle and the cooking class. Right. But the cooking class is the only one where she actually does something to make herself happier. Instead of starting a fire, she. Put someone else in the situation where they yeah, start exactly. the fire, and then they suffer much worse because I of mean, it. Yeah, the the idea that the idea that these what we can see as totally isolated incidents are actually part of a bigger like chain reaction of events is really strange to me. Like the fact that her at the beginning of the movie, her not even being late for school, but almost being late for school means that she's too tired to do the test. So she can't answer any of the questions because her brain is too tired. And then she messes up in home ec and starts a fire. And then she also gets run into by a boy that she didn't even see coming. It has nothing to do with her. He was thrown at her. He was thrown at her. And then, you know, at the end of all of that, she fl- gets flung in front of a train and time leaps back and is talking about, oh, this was supposed to be a nice day and all that kind of stuff. None of that stuff is dependent on the other events that happen around it. Like if it was a true chain reaction where she got to school late and that meant this, which then implied this, which then did this and then led to right, this, right. where she had to go home early and that's when she got hit by a train. And if she hadn't gone home early, she wouldn't have gotten hit by the train. None of that is implied. There's nothing that feels like it's a real chain reaction. It's just like she's just having a shitty day. That's it. And then when she throws Takase-kun, the, the other character, in that situation at, in home ec and sets his life on a path of destruction. The next time we see him, he's he's been involved in like this revenge war with these other boys that came from the fact that he messed up in in home ec. And one of the other boys is like, I won't forget this, Takase. And, you know, they they start messing with him and start dumping water on him. And then he starts fighting back and it goes back and forth and back and forth. I don't know. I just feel like all of that's just so. I don't know. It feel it feels like a really misleading uh, fable of some kind, a fable that has some kind of moralistic end that's like, well, if one bad thing happens, then all of the bad things ever are definitely going to happen mm. to you. Yeah. And it's, again, it's a defeatist way to look at things. It's this this 
you know, I don't know. It's it's really bothersome, and I don't like how it's framed in the movie. I just don't. I just the 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 idea that it's a sin to be very happy is something that I just can't ever get behind. And unfortunately, I like I'm not exaggerating when I say I really do feel that that's kind of true about about some aspects of Japanese culture. That that if you the idea that if you're enjoying life too much, that it probably means you're not doing what you're supposed to do and you're inconveniencing someone else. And and that's the worst thing that you can do. And I, I don't know. I just, it was, it, like I said, the first time I ever saw this movie, back before we had, we had only been here for a very short time, um, I, I just brushed over it and it didn't, I didn't even think twice about it. But now I realize that it's central to the theme of this entire movie. And it's, and it's central damaging. because it's central to the theme of, of Japanese society. And I think it's super pernicious and super damaging to, to, you know, living a normal, happy life, like with, without like thinking that there's something constantly floating over your head that you've got to be doing something or that you've got, you know, it, it creates kind of this feeling of anxiety. Like if you're doing something, if you're too happy about something, then you're doing something wrong. So you can't be too happy. So you have to temper your happiness. Don't, don't, don't be too happy. Don't enjoy life too much. I don't know. That shit just bothers me. It bothers yeah. me so much. Um, I, we were, <laughs> Anyways, though, we... and, I, and I, but the worst thing is, is that it's not it's not that the movie is is presenting that stuff and then trying to to to, to counter it. It's presenting that stuff and invalidating. vindicating it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um. Anyways, so what so what we've seen happening right now is that she is is in some some trouble with Chiaki. Which she hangs out with these two boys. We've got Chiaki Kosuke and, Kosuke. and Chiaki, Right. Exactly. Um. And and. It, Kosuke has been approached by a girl who has confessed to him uh, that she's part of a group of three girls. Of three girls, and yes. I just want to say that I have a theory that these girls are actually a reference to the three witches or the weird sisters from Shakespeare's Macbeth, who prophesy that uh, Thale Macbeth will become king. And it's a very loose connection, but there's three of them, and they're always talking about like horoscopes and fortune telling. True, and, they do, and hocus pocus and all that kind of stuff. I think it's kind of, it might be a, like kind of a loose uh, mm. homage to to Macbeth, but that's that's just me. I, I I think that you can totally read that into it. Also, blood type to. horoscopes are a thing that don't aren't. Really yeah, we didn't mention that, but the girls did talk about. Um, about blood type horoscopes at one point. Uh, in Japan, fortune telling is very popular. Palm readers can often be found in malls. Actually, one of uh, my good friends, her mom is a palm reader. Oh, wow, that's cool. Um, but the two types of fortune telling that are really popular in books and magazines and stuff uh, where you might read like what's to come for that day or the week or month or whatever are based on the Chinese zodiac, which is the 12 animals, and it's determined by what year you were born, or your blood your blood type. Um, like, but they don't do positive and negative, so it's just A, B, A, B, or O. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ketsueki Gata is what it's called. Yeah. And they rarely use the astrological zodiac stuff that we're familiar with in America, like the Aries, Capricorn, yeah. that kind of stuff. Most people don't know Most people what don't, their they, sign is. Children use it a lot. They have these books full of, like, Pokemon characters or other types of, of it, know, I mean it's definitely in the they culture it, but it's it's more of a ch- it's weird it's kind of a children's horoscope thing and then the adult horoscope the ones that 
that I guess people take more seriously is the blood type thing. The blood type. Of course, the Chinese zodiac is really important because that ties into a lot of aspects of the culture, like New Year's, and um, they cele- they celebrate the animal every year at New Year's. Right. So you 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 definitely see a lot of that. But the blood type thing is what everybody talks about. Um, uh, whereas in the West, usually I don't think most people even know their blood type. <laughs> So, so, but here you definitely know it. And, and I've had many people be like, oh yeah, I can see you're an O, that makes sense. (laughs) And it's just like, does it now? Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, but you were talking about something. Yes. I was talking about her getting into a situation now where she, Kosuke got asked out by a girl. Yes. And a girl named Kaho, who is part of the three, the weird sisters. Right. Call them. And, um, and when Chiaki asks Makoto out after Kosuke gets asked out, because that just brings it up in conversation, she uh, vanishes and we see him sitting there looking for her. Right. This is the second time that we've confirmed that these timelines go on Making without, me believe without Makoto. Yeah. It continues. The timeline continues with Makoto simply disappearing from it. And if she never goes back to that timeline, it just goes on, I feel. that That's my reading of without this. Her, yeah. And so I'm thinking she's starting all these timelines and leaving them, thus leaving the people in them to suffer because of the changes she made or simply the fact that they'll spend the rest of their lives thinking that she's been kidnapped or committed suicide. Um, I'm certain that the movie does not want me to worry about this and that, that it's just... I, I don't know if, if you should call it a mistake or just not careful time travel mechanics. Um, but but I think that uh, the the whole idea of her aunt talking about about if you're having a good time, then someone else is suffering. I think it plays into yeah, into their mistake maybe, really nicely. Maybe un- yeah, unintentionally. <laughs> unintentionally. Unintentionally plays into that idea. Sure. But anyway, so she's trying to avoid hearing Chiaki confess that he likes her and she keeps failing every time she she goes home with him again and again and again she keeps trying to change the topic and it doesn't matter he's just persistent every time he tells her that he likes her and um and we keep hearing him telling Kosuke because the scene is repeated again and again he keeps telling Kosuke that if Kosuke doesn't go out with that girl now then it's going to be too late later right and so we get this feeling it's like a reflection of the idea that Makoto has to make some choices now um, well I mean because they're just going to keep presenting themselves visually it's very nicely framed because before she rides off on that bicycle the the shot is of a fork in the road Mm mm-hmm and she continually goes down the same side of the fork with, with, with Chiaki, Chiaki, trying to divert the conversation or change the conversation in such a way that he won't ask her out. And eventually she realizes that she has to take the literal other fork in the right. road. And and she does, and that conversation never Away actually happens. Away from him. Right. And then that leads uh, in the narrative just perfectly into what happens, because the only way to avoid having to deal with the possibility of a romantic relationship with Chiaki is to walk away, to literally walk down a different road from Chiaki. And then that literally leads her away from him. She starts avoiding him at school. Mm -hmm. Um, She starts having trouble talking to him. And then her worthless aunt guilt trips her about not dating him. Yes. Yes. Also true. Um, And, and then we start to see Chiaki forming a relationship with her best friend or one of her. With Makoto's best friend, Yudi. This character that we're seeing right here, and uh, I think it's it's strange, and it kind of frames Chiaki in a really 
poor light. Um, yes, I think so too because we're supposed to be made to believe that he really likes her, but then because he never gets to confess to her, he just asks someone else out. And there's even a, a moment earlier, in uh, a little bit earlier than that, after Kosuke gets confessed to by Kaho. Uh, Kosuke says that he wouldn't have time to play baseball and stuff like that uh, if he was dating her, so he turned her down. And Chiaki even says, hey, I would date her. And, you know, he then asks uh, Makoto out, which is then undone by Makoto's time leaping. And then he asks Yudi out, and now he's dating Yudi. So, like, Chiaki, who is supposed to be kind of the central romantic interest in the movie, uh, is kind of framed poorly, I think. I think so, too. He he. I don't think he cares about Makoto in any significant way, like as as like a, a potential romantic partner. We're um, supposed to be made. Then he does to think the, that he does girls. though in those in the scenes where he's asking yeah. her out and stuff. We're supposed to be made to believe that this is a serious relationship exactly, that he stayed in this yes, time. Exactly because the the movie frames him as being earnest in those moments, and then in one of the final scenes in the movie where he ultimately says goodbye, he's framed again as being very very earnest with her. Despite what things we've seen him do in the movie, mm. so I don't know. I think I think that's that's a little bit strange. But right now we're seeing uh, Takase Kun, who has, I mean, his his little revenge war between the boys who wouldn't forgive him for starting a fire in Homec mm-hmm. has kind of come to a to a a head, so to speak. Uh, and they it looked like they dumped ramen on his head but mm. the first shot we had of him was like kind of a a, a, a longer shot a, a farther away shot and it just i just saw the l- yellow liquid and i was like did they piss on him <laughs> has it escalated to that <laughs> level is that really oh dear <laughs> but uh no actually not so so makoto we just saw um is almost hit by this fire extinguisher that he throws at her and then chiaki jumps in front of her and then makoto time leaps to knock chiaki out of the way from protecting her which then causes the fire extinguisher to hit yudi couldn't she have just leapt back far enough that she could have like gone down a different hallway i don't know i i i get the feeling that she doesn't really have a grasp on where and where maybe when she's actually mm. leaping to she can also teleport that's also important because Sometimes when she leaps, she leaps back to the same place that she's currently at. And then, like, one of the first times she leaps, uh, well, especially like at the train, at the train, mm-hmm. she leaps back up to the top of the hill. She also leaps from the river all the way back to her house. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then uh, in toward the end of the movie, uh, we're going to get the information that I guess they can stop time, too. Apparently. There's Even all, we don't all sorts of other superpowers. Movie. I'm 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 ragging on this a little more than I really want to because I really do love this movie still. I still love this movie. I think it's beautiful. I just and I, I, I think I do that, too. And I think there's a lot to praise the movie for, but I also think that there's enough problems with it to fill out an entire episode full of complaints. <laughs> yes. I think it's true. But I do I love the small moments in this movie. I love I love this the soundtrack. I think the like the classical piano in the background of all the time travel is cool. It's cool. Um, a little, little repetitive, but it's cool. It's the same theme and I got I got really tired of the theme by the Oh, end of the I movie. guess I didn't it didn't bother me that much. Um uh I love I love this kind of movie is the kind of movie that even even now while I'm still living in Japan, I still feel like nostalgic for Japan. Um, 
the 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 way the food looks, the way the house looks, the way the bath looks, the sound of the cicadas. Um, I, I totally forgot to do something. The, in the nurse's office, uh, there was a shot of the door, mm-hmm. uh, the nurse, the the office door. That was our hint. Oh, that was our hint for this week. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but uh, but Richard Kingston from Facebook, uh, he's he's the only one who got it right. No one from Twitter got it, and he wants to promote his Steam profile for co-op games. Uh, his username is Multi Yogi Bear, and he'll be playing Payday Two, Saints Row Three and Four, and Borderlands Two. So if you want to go play some co-op games with him. Uh, Go do that. Go do it. Yeah. Games good job good. on good job on guessing the hint though. Um but anyways though, it, it does this movie not do that for you? Do you not like even it's hard now for me to find a movie about Japan that that makes me feel the way that I used to feel before I came here where it's like, "Oh my gosh, I want to see that. I want to I want to see a street like that. I want to see a bathroom like that." But this movie still captures it for me. Yeah, I mean it, it definitely and I think it Holso does films kind of dwell in nostalgia, not quite as bad as a filmmaker like Makoto Shinkai, mm. but um, they, they they do kind of wallow a bit in nostalgia. And and there's a, a point in the movie you mentioned when they stop time, uh, when they stop time and or Chiaki, when Chiaki rather stops time and starts explaining all of this stuff about his feelings and whatnot uh, to Makoto. Um it goes like full on hardcore nostalgia porn. Like it, it doesn't quit like with the cicadas and stuff. And you can hear the cicadas in the background now, but it's all that stuff that soup that really natsukashi, right? Yeah. Natsukashi means natsukashi. like nostalgic or nostalgia in Japanese. And uh, it is that kind of natsukashi type of feeling that I think drives the aesthetic and the sound design of movies like this. Uh, but I like narr- that, though. And I, I, I mean, do, you're you're saying it as though it's a, a negative thing, and I, I don't have a nece- problem with not it. Not necessarily. I just think that it doesn't always, uh, it doesn't always suit the narrative. It doesn't always um, serve the narrative. Yes, right. and I, I, w- I would agree that it definitely, by no stretch of the imagination, doesn't make for a great film, but it makes for a great feeling. And it does. It's it's very evocative, and uh, and I think that that's, I, I think there's something to be said for that. Certainly, no. And when I watch this movie, I enjoy the act of watching it. Like I I can allow it to work on me in those ways. Uh, but you know, when when it gets too deep into that stuff, when it feels a little bit overly sentimental, it's just hard for me not to roll my eyes. I, and I always, I always get there with movies like this, even this movie. And I know that you say that it totally works on you. It does. Just all of it, part and parcel. Just. I mean, I mean, like I said, there are moments in it where, where, um, I really, uh, when we get there, I'll mention it again. I really hate the way she cries. It really upsets me. By upset, I don't mean like I feel the same emotion as her. I mean I feel like, what the fuck were they thinking? Um, but. But but I do I do have moments in this movie, especially with the home stuff, with the food and the bathroom. And I know I keep saying that, but like that, like that look is is something that that I look for in, in anime that I want to feel, that I want to capture, and and it it shows the the kind of Japan that I do love and that yeah no I get that that I do that I desire. I to still be feel in. that way about Japan sometimes. So I mean, I, it, some of it does work on me, but other it, when it gets to be too much. When it's overbearing and you know a little ham-handed, then it can make me roll my eyes a bit. So we just saw the picture right, her aunt the, was working on. So at the museum, Makoto's uh, aunt says that she should go out with Kosuke. 
uh, for whatever reason. What? Do, because I guess Chiaki's now got a girlfriend, so now she's trying to convince her to go out with Kosuke. Because again, she gives the worst fucking advice ever. So if one of your guy friends has got a girlfriend, then just go for the other one. Despite the fact that she was guilt tripping her for not going for the going for Chiaki just a couple of scenes ago. Mm. Whatever. Um, so Makoto says she doesn't want to play with people's feelings. Uh, but later in the movie, she's totally cool with setting up an elaborate plot so that Kosuke and Kaho end up together. I guess that doesn't count. Well, all right. Whatever. Whatever. But anyway, the 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 aunt says, uh, let's see, they, they look at the, the, the painting that uh, Makoto's aunt has been working on. Um, and she's just finished restoring it. And she says that they don't know much about it, but that it was painted during a time of war and famine. And asks uh, why someone would paint something like this during such a time Mm -hmm. um and i don't know if the painting actually exists but the name of the painting is uh what is it it's like white plum blossoms two camellia and a chrysanthemum uh and it apparently is hanging in the tokyo national museum according to this movie but i don't know if that's actually the case um but eventually we will come to learn that chiaki's one and only motivation for coming back to the past, because we do learn that he he too is a time traveler from the distant future. Uh, his one and only purpose for coming back to the past was to see this painting, and he the only information he had about it was that it, it did exist during this time at this place. So he's been jumping back and forth and jumping all around trying to find exactly when and where he can see it, and he's at the right time, but it's currently being restored. I guess on the premises of the museum, but he goes to the museum and tries to see the painting finished and he never does. But I mean, if he's there right now, which we can, we can presume that he is, then he has seen the painting, right? If that's his one motivation, shouldn't he be checking like every day? Cause it's up now Aunt just finished it. It's in the museum. It's right. hanging on the wall. You, you've got to Go assume check that it he's out. Seen it. Right, right. Exactly. And like why, if, if he knew it was being restored, then why couldn't he just like jump forward a week or so and figure it out. I mean, I guess she uses his his recharge, his little nut thing that recharges his time yeah, jumping. Yeah, the walnut. Um, Which, uh, I had a note about the walnut. Did, did you know that <clears throat> the walnut, in Japanese, is called kurumi? Mm-hmm. And there is... Uh, there is a kanji uh, or Chinese characters that are used for kudumi, but it, they're very rarely used. It's usually just spelled out in the in the uh, syllabic language, the right. syllabary in hiragana. Um, but the interesting thing about the kanji for um, for the word for walnut is that it contains kanji for barbarian and peach, right? Hmm. Okay, so you know that. Other places in the movie have peaches. Right. Peaches are an, are kind of a not an ongoing theme, but there's something that was they're brought up. So the character, the the Chinese character for barbarian or foreign countries contains radicals for old and moon. So it could be inferred that the walnut represents the passage of time or aging in okay. reference to the peaches. So if we see the peaches as like uh, an object representing youth, and then walnut representing the same thing, but you know aged or old right oh another thing i um i forgot to mention when when it was going on uh, uh another like thing that is very likely alluding to um to some japanese culture references and mm-hmm. stuff that you probably wouldn't know if if 
unless I mean I don't know I, I'm presuming about who's listening and I have no idea but um anyways when she is trying to eat dinner uh and she keeps the scene way back at the beginning where she's first time leaping and she's whining because she really wants to eat um what is it teppanyaki or teppanyaki, something yeah which teppanyaki if if you don't know what that is that's basically like hibachi grill it is hibachi but it's it's japanese it, steakhouse well, in the states it's the correct term for food cooked on what americans call hibachi uh, tepon being the name of the grill and yaki meaning cook uh, referring to the food itself anything prepared on prepared this way on the flat grill is considered tepon yaki that includes grilled meat and seafood vegetables okonomiyaki and yakisoba all of yeah, that it's is all tepon yaki all of it is but anyways though so Hibachi's she's a totally different thing right but in in the states like that's what you would you would associate yeah. it with um incorrectly but yes yes uh but but anyway, so she she's complaining, she's whining that she wants teppanyaki because we can assume that she's been eating the same meal again and again. Um, or at least she just had it the night before. I mean, I don't know how many times she's had dinner on this day. But it's right after she does karaoke for 10 hours, as she describes it. And what her mom is preparing, the translation, that depending, I don't, it depends on the version you're watching, but the translation probably is something like chicken stew. That they say something like, oh, we're eating chicken stew tonight. Right. And she's whining that she doesn't want to eat that. Well, the the word that they actually use for what they're eating is uh, chikuzeni, mm-hmm. which um, is, it's it, it makes sense that you could translate it as chicken stew because it's a dish where it's made with chicken and vegetables, usually root vegetables like carrots and burdock, lotus, uh, taro, um, sometimes mushroom like shiitake and snap peas and stuff, and they saute it in in, in a broth and they simmer it, and um, and it's it's yummy. It's kind of like a sweet dish. Sometimes yeah. it has a little a little sweet flavor. Uh, but the significance of this is that um, uh, this dish chikuzeni is often used in osechi. Osechi is a New Year's. Uh, assortment of food that is usually prepared specifically a couple days before the New Year's and then you eat it for a few days during the New Year's and Osechi, everything represents something like all the small dishes represent like long life or good health or something like that and and Chikuzeni is eaten in Osechi it's one of one of the staple dishes that you often find in Osechi so her eating Chikuzeni again and again and again is a reference to her starting over again and again yeah. and again because there's, there's it's a, associated with the new year. There's a bit of imagery uh, as far as that's concerned when Makoto sees the first visions after she hits her her elbow on the walnut and gets all of the leap charges. Uh, she sees this vision, and we talked about the Van Gogh-type imagery and the horses and the people dancing around the fire and stuff like that. But one of the first things she sees is she goes through this light tunnel and then looks like she is... It's kind of almost the image of her being born into water like it, it, mm-hmm. it kind of represents a water birth i think and again being the concept of being born and living again and all that kind of stuff and birth and rebirth i think is all part of that so there's some some of that imagery i think um works i don't know i think it, it it's, meshes it's so strange to me because i don't i don't feel like when i see that kind of stuff in a movie i i get the feeling that that it was not a sloppily planned movie, that it was carefully thought out, that they put their symbolism in the right places, that they that they paid attention to what they were doing. It makes you think that, right. And and then 
like I said, the time the time travel mechanics in this I feel are really wonky. They are, and they're strange, and they're things that could have been wrapped up really easily. easily. Things that could have been patched up, and and you know, I don't know the the, the bolts. I feel like the bolts need to be tightened on this thing. And a little and bit I more think I think really back when I watched it when it first came out. I think back then I was still there was still this part of me that that was like it's a Japanese film let's be real here it's a Japanese film and it's going to be kind of difficult to understand with this kind of stuff because because it's it's just it's just above where I'm going with this it's deeper than what I'm thinking yeah. about and and I'm at a point now where where Japanese, that's bullshit ja- Japanese and science I don't. fiction is is very very and we got into this a bit last week with Akira but Japanese science fiction is is kind of notorious for allowing emotionality to stand in place of practicality as far as explaining why their worlds work the way they do. Which is so weird. It's very strange, and it's always subject to interpretation, but I think that it it very... In my experience, it very rarely comes out to something meaningful uh, and instead feels like, oh, here's just some gobbledygook, so, you know... So the audience can be confused enough to think that it maybe means something important when it probably really it's doesn't. So, and that is so weird because because it's so weird because of Japan because that's not the the way that Japan functions when it deals with science and stuff. It's a very pragmatic country, or uh, strives to be. It sure. strives to be right. Um, but anyways, though, uh, yeah, that that the time travel mechanics in this stress me out, especially when. When um, when I see so much else that's in this movie that I really think uh, had good intention, that it had, that it wasn't sloppy. Let's uh, catch up on the story. Uh, so several scenes ago, we saw that uh, Makoto was being chided by her teacher for not having picked an orientation route yet mm. uh, for humanities or the sciences. And she, he says stuff to her like, don't let your one good test score go to your head. What kind of fucking teacher says something like that? That's the kind of thing that you say to a competitor, not someone that you're, you know, supposed to be encouraging to succeed. It, the, I think the shittiest thing about that, again, we keep coming back to this, is that the movie makes him right. Mm-hmm. All of these terrible things, all of the shitty advice that she's getting, all of these ways in which she's being told she's doing it wrong because she's a, just a little bit directionless. Not even a lot. She's not a fuck up. She's just a little bit directionless, and everyone is constantly saying, you're a fuck-up. And I, I just don't get why that's... She she doesn't seem that way to me. And I feel like all these characters should be painted as villains, you know, trying to tell the girl who's going her own way and doing it her own way uh, that she's doing it wrong. I feel like she should be vindicated for doing it her way. But mm-hmm. instead, they're vindicated for telling her that she needs direction. At the end of the movie, she's just like, I know what I'm going to do from now on. Impl- and she doesn't even say what that is. It's nothing concrete. It's because just, that doesn't matter. Because it doesn't matter. It's just the idea that, that she, she has knows direction. Yeah, that she has the next step, which is fine. And that's a good thing to have that if you have it, if you, if you have that kind of foresight and you have the ability to plan your next step and know where you're going. And that's great. That's wonderful. But to not have that doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean no, it that, doesn't, that you're doing it wrong. Even it just when means you're, you're an adult, you often still don't know what you're doing exactly. and where you're going. I don't know where I'm going with my life. I mean, you 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 can plan, you can try and plan, but most of us don't really don't really know exactly what's going to happen, I'm, exactly I'm what my, we're going to do. I'm in my late 20s and we're talking about moving back to the states this year and 
I don't I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I don't have the exact next step planned. And if I'm supposed to go by this movie and what this movie tells me, I'm a fuck up. You're screwed. I am screwed. <laughs> because I, I was supposed to have it figured out at 17, apparently. I right? mean, yeah. And you definitely didn't have it figured out back then. So, all right, we, we, learn, uh, we learn that Kaho knew about Kosuke from her grandmother because apparently he volunteered at her her retirement home mm-hmm. and she heard about how what a great guy he was and oh he's, Kaho he's is so the, cool. is one of the girls of the th- the trio the trio she's the, the shy club. one that likes Kosuke uh, and she had heard about Kosuke you know for all these years before actually meeting him so she kind of loved him before she knew him right so maybe there's a parallel being drawn between Kaho loving Kosuke before she ever met him and Chiaki going on this journey to see a painting that he's only ever heard about. I think that maybe there's a loose little connection there. Uh, but basically, she she what happens is Makoto runs through the hall and she uh, she time leaps back to the day that Kaho confessed and that um, Kosuke turned her down because she's trying to get it to where Kosuke will actually say yes. So she does this a couple of times and she keeps fucking up and she keeps messing up. And then she jumps too far back and has to live through the day of the 13th again, where she sets everything up to uh, to be that instead of her getting hit by the boy, the flying boy, uh, that actually Kosuke gets hit and is knocked into into Kaho. Um, And then. Okay, my, my problem there, I have a little bit of a problem there. My problem with Kosuke only wanting to get with Kaho. Uh, hold on one second. This yeah. this moment right here, I really love this. I love the okay, silence. I love the silence when they're talking on the phone and he asks her, are you time leaping? It's, it's a really great subversion of expectations. You expect him to ask her out over the phone. Uh-huh. And then he says something even more shocking. And you're like, oh, holy oh, shit. shit. Yeah. And, but, but specifically what I love, though, is the silence there. Because that kind of happens, at least in my life experience, when, when something really, really shocking is told to you or you witness or something where the world kind of just tunnel visions yeah. and and even maybe even the blood rushing to your to your head or whatever sort of like numbs the sound around you. I just loved I love the effect there. Anyway, the, the, my problem with Kosuke wanting to get with Kaho only in the situation where he accidentally falls on her is that it kind of puts him over her. It kind of, it's somewhat like reflective of the the moe archetype. If you don't know anything about moe, it's been prominent in Japanese cartoons for several years now. And it, the moe girl, the concept of the moe girl, is a young female who is often admired for her need for protection and dependence on an older brother-like figure. Uh, and there's often you know this underlying weird sexual element uh, to the way these relationships are depicted and appreciated by a lot of fans of this mm. archetype. And I think that Kosuke not wanting to date Kaho at first was his choice. That was his natural inclination is that he didn't he wasn't interested in her. But after Makoto set up this elaborate plot to have him fall on her and have him take her to the nurse and take care of her and like be, you know, like her protector for an afternoon or whatever, suddenly makes him want to date her. And that there's something about that that just kinda hits me wrong. Like I don't hmm. I feel like his natural natural inclination to not want to date her is his own. It's the honest one. Yeah. But as soon as she's put in a position where like he feels like he's protected her, then suddenly he has a romantic interest in mm-hmm. her. Yeah. Yeah, know. not digging that. No, I don't nope. like that. Not nope. very much. Not digging that. Um so anyway, she she we just talked about how she ran to the train because uh Kaho and Kosuke have now hit it off and he and Kosuke called her and said that he's going to take her bike uh 
and drop Kaho off, and uh, she knows that her brakes are shot. So she ran to the train tracks, and he wasn't there, and then we had the exchange on the phone with Chiaki where he asked her if she was time-leaping. She leaps back to try to divert the conversation so he doesn't ask her that and uses her last time-leap by doing that. But I'm surprised that she didn't associate the time, like, with the correct time. You know, yeah. I mean, not that not that he would necessarily be riding the bike at the same moment that she rode the bike when she got hit by the train, but but I mean, she didn't even wait till that till that time. No, she's just like she's like, oh, this is the moment. (laughs) This is the moment I decided, and they're not here, so clearly it's fine. Yeah. So so after that after that moment where where Chiaki asked her if she's time leaping, she jumps back to divert the question, gets off the phone with having no time leaps left. Then Kosuke and, and Kaho ride by on the spike going down the hill toward the train. And of course, they get launched in front of the train. And we are meant to believe that in this timeline, they die. That is confirmed later. What's with by the Chiaki. shoe? What's the shoe that hits her? That makes her fall the, down? The shoe mirrors that- her shoe that came off in the first scene where she was flying down the hill because when she flies down the hill the first time uh, her shoe comes off and hits the old lady in the face or comes maybe doesn't hit the old lady in the face I, well I was thinking it comes off but. I was thinking of when Chiaki threw his shoe and hit uh, uh, I don't remember the oh there the is some boy. parallel imagery there isn't there hmm interesting so I thought like maybe Chiaki threw the shoe at her to get her to there stop running down the hill there are several flying shoes in the movie, uh-huh. that's true. I mean, I'd have to look at Chiaki's shoe again. Let's let's think about the metaphorical significance. Let's, <laughs> let's think about the fact that he's just stopped time right now. He just has new superpowers. I the assume... next next scene, he's going to pull like a big cellophane S off of his <sighs> chest and toss it at and someone. Minorly inconveniences yes. combatants. Um, so, uh, he's used his last time jump. To jump back to before, before Kosuke, Kosuke could get the bike, took the bike, right? So, so that Kosuke and uh, uh, Kaho, Kaho would mm. not die by being hit by a train, right? So he's used his last time leap to do that. But I'm assuming that if you know what you're doing, I guess your power can allow you to stop time altogether, but on the same time leap number, like using that same power. Right, exactly. So I guess he time leaped, stopped time, got the bike, and got here super, super quick. Uh, And also, I don't know why, why Makoto can see all of this. I don't know why this... has. Look, okay, this is Schrodinger's cat. You just, you you missed it, but (laughs) because you were looking at something else. I'm sorry. What is with it? There is a Schrodinger's cat reference. There was a shot of a cat in a box with a bottle and a small hammer and a measuring device of some kind. What relevance does this have? It's so obviously supposed to be Schrodinger's cat, uh, which, of course, if you don't know Schrodinger's cat, it's a thought experiment uh, out of quantum mechanics uh, that describes how a a superposition of states collapses into a single reality upon observation, specifically human observation. Um, but interestingly, it was kind of developed as a way to illustrate how ridiculous uh, such a thought experiment could become, you know, foregoing a simple explanation of the concepts for a more complicated system that includes, you know, a Geiger counter, a radioactive element, a bottle of poison, a hammer, a sealed box, and the eponymous cat. I think that the significance to the film, however, is basically this is a thought experiment out of quantum mechanics, and we're and a we're time, time travel, travel movie. movie. 
<laughs> yeah, pretty pretty much. It's like a solid five seconds on this fucking cat. Yeah. In this box with these little things inside it with it, and you're just like, why? What? Why? <laughs> why are you there? Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think it's just quantum mechanics, time travel. I don't know. And then and then we got it. We got it. Pretty in there. silly. He stuck it in. I, this is this is the point in the movie, by the way. While time has stopped and he's waxing nostalgic, this is where the movie goes from kind of cute and harmless to kind of fucking stupid for me. I, all of this just, ugh. I mean, I cannot roll my. I eyes mean, we hard do enough. we do have to believe that he's still a teenage boy, even if he's from the future. He's still a teenage boy in the future, and yes. his one life goal is to go see a painting. I don't understand. Like, is to go see an old painting. If you think of like the practical like what would go into the practical actions required uh or or the practical explanations required of chiaki's actions going back in time there is no good explanation there is no good explanation for how any of this works and the motivation itself is really weak sauce he goes back to see a painting and and the thing is is i can believe that a character exists who is a 17 year old boy whose one desire in life is to go see an ancient painting i can believe that that character is out there and exists but that's not this character no we have not we have not created a character where i could believe that about him right and you aren't just going to tell me that oh well he was pretending to be like a different character the whole time no no then then, then you fucked up because you were supposed to show me the character well, that why, he okay. is and that's the thing is that if he's a time traveler why did he go back in time to see this painting and then become a high school student in the past like he didn't come to enjoy. You know, his... it's like when vampires want to like assimilate into society, and so they just like become, become high stars? school students. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking of the wrong terrible vampire <laughs> sorry. movie. Sorry, <laughs> different terrible vampire movie. Uh, yeah, like I don't, I don't get why he did that because and it, I like Queen of the Dam, so it, you can just go in. Yeah, I know you do. Um, that that you might be a to it. be continued for popcorn poops. Um. Yeah, I don't really get it I, because he he talks about how his only goal was to go back and see this painting, right? And I get that, like, on an emotional level, he starts talking about how in his time there's not a lot of people and he hasn't – he's never seen the sun before and he'd never seen the surface of uh, – or he'd never seen, like, water running on the surface, meaning that probably his society is an underground society where war and famine and all this terrible – these terrible things uh, have caused people to live like this. He says there's no baseball. Um so we assume that he comes from kind of a post-apocalyptic future, right? Yeah, I mean, there's no baseball, so definitely. Right, and he comes back to this time <laughs> to see this painting, but then comes to learn that that he really enjoys this time because he has friends, and he really wants to be here. And he, he can ride a bicycle. And he can ride a bicycle, and he can play baseball, and he, he really loves his friends, and that's kind of the main reason that he wanted to stick in this time period. But he wouldn't know that he liked this time period had he not started school. Why did he start school? There's got to be a reason for why he goes back in time to see this know. painting. He's like, I guess I'm going to go to high school now. Well, I guess be he, a normal high I guess school he got stuck here waiting because he only had the one jump left. So maybe we can just believe he was stuck here waiting because he only had one jump, and I he's suppose. hoping that the he's hoping the painting's gonna appear if he waits long enough. But the thing is, though, like if this was your whole motivation is to just see this painting, why don't you just go talk? I mean, clearly talk to somebody. The, the, her aunt something. is restoring it. It exists. It's there. She's seen the painting before yeah. it was up on the wall in the museum. Yeah. 
I'm sure if you make a big enough case about it, you can go and talk to someone and you can talk go look at the restoration. Hey, do you know about this painting? Uh, is there any way that is it on I the could premises? just... Can I just see could it? Could I just look at it? I'm, I'm doing a school project on it, right? Yeah. Right? Anything. Really? You, could, you couldn't... But You're instead, from the future and you can't like instead, do that? He has to stand and mope around in front of where the painting should be with his head hung down and his bangs in his face, all emo, probably got his headphones in. Listening to some bright eyes or you're, something. You're really taking I'm this to a it. different place. Well, he would in my version of this movie. Um, I mean, I get her falling in love with him now, right? He's from the future, right? Right. That's super cool. It is super cool. Maybe, maybe they can bang and give birth to John Connors. I don't think that's where I was going. Who lead the rebellion with against <laughs> Skynet and be the savior of humanity? No, no. That's what happens when you bang a time traveler. Didn't she's you know? into him now because he's not just a screw up anymore. He's from the future, no, from and the future. he cares about art. So <laughs> he's sensitive. But but really though, no, I believe her relationship. Actually, I'm making fun of it, but I believe that I believe that you can be a teenage girl and not realize that you have feelings for sure. your best friend. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, and you can you can come to understand and those she, feelings. And she realized them. I don't think when he was confessed to being a time traveler I think she realized them when she saw her best friend dating him I, I don't think it's totally shocking that Chiaki might ask someone else out if he couldn't ask the girl that he actually likes out because I know what it's like to be a teenage guy and sure sometimes that happens like I was giving him a hard time about it and I'm not saying that it I'm not saying that it's impossible yeah I don't expect to him happen. to be abstinent while you know oh he's, exactly right but at the same time like I, I think that knowing all of that about him doesn't particularly put him in a gr- great light yeah it doesn't make him a better person so to speak I mean he's sure realistic enough but that doesn't realistic doesn't always make like you know sympathetic <laughs> true um, sometimes often often the yes. opposite yes, yeah absolutely <laughs> um, but. But anyways, though, there were there were a lot of other questions that I had in that scene that that just left me again kind of confused. Um, I know he doesn't remember all the different timelines. He doesn't remember all the times that she's leapt back in time. So since it was just that afternoon, it's the 13th, the scene where he stops the bicycle, he jumps, he uses his last time leap yes. to jump back in time to save Kosuke and uh, Kaho. Yes. That is the 13th. That is the afternoon of the 13th. Mm-hmm. She found the nut in the science lab like less than a couple hours ago. Right. Okay, so so keep that in mind as I'm saying this. So since it was just that afternoon in this timeline that she got the nut that lets her time leap, he's just now, he should just now be realizing that his time leap device is gone. and if, Unless it's been missing for a while. Okay, it could have been missing for a while, but he just now realized it's all used up. Right, that's true. He just now realized that because, because she, she just, just used, used it. it. Yeah. Um, he's holding it and it's empty, but it was just full when she fell on it in right. the science lab. It's only been empty of charges to him for a couple hours or less. And he guesses immediately that she's time leaping. Mm-hmm. Immediately. We're talking within a couple hours. Yeah. Or less. Less than that. I mean, it's like, like who knows? Like, it's, it is the same afternoon. And and you're saying that maybe his his nut was missing <laughs> before <laughs> before this scene. Say that again slower. <laughs> his nut was missing before <laughs> this scene. Um but I assumed that it was him who she saw, the shadowy figure in the science yeah, lab I that, so too. that I mean, that's drew never, her. I mean it's never confirmed one way or the other, lab? but I guess it's him. 
that and he dropped because, it? Because suddenly the nut is dropped on the floor and someone just left the room. It's got to be him. Right. So you've got so, to and assume then, that he dropped it moments before she found it. Right. And if that's the case, then in this scene continuing where he stopped time on the same day. Is that lavender? It is. It's lavender. I think so, yeah. Uh, that matters. I, I knew it. I knew I was going to find lavender in this scene. We're looking at the ant reminiscing on her past, and we see a clock, and we see a picture of her with two boys, and we see what what I'm guessing is supposed to be lavender. Right. Um. In the book, when she first time travels, she smells lavender. Oh, cool! All and right. then, and then, uh, when her memory is erased by the boy, and she has no memory of him or anything, every time she smells lavender, she gets a feeling that someone promised they would meet her again someday. Right. Well, speaking of like memory. Makoto should not remember any of the stuff that happens. We aren't we aren't there yet. We're about to be there right now. This is the scene where well, she shouldn't is, remember. Well, yeah, this is the scene where she shouldn't remember. Where when she realizes that she has one charge left, she's moping because she thinks she doesn't have any charges left because ostensibly she's remembering that the last time she used it, you know, kind of frivolously to backpedal in the conversation where Chiaki asked her if she's time leaping. But then because Chiaki actually time leaps before that and uses his last time leap to jump before and take the bike before Kosuke and Kaho can get on it, it it gives her back one of her leaps. But if none of these people around her are aware any time that she time leaps and they don't remember what happens in the timeline that then they came from. Then she shouldn't be able then to. Then she shouldn't be able to either. And she shouldn't go, oh, Chiaki went back. Exactly. She wouldn't know. She, she, she wouldn't would have know no that he went back. She wouldn't know his. that Kosuke and Kaho were ever in danger. Now, like there, there's a bit of cinematic trickery that goes on, goes on because the way he jumps back is not just by time leaping back. He does, like we said, this whole thing where he can suddenly stop time and they have a whole conversation and all that kind of stuff. So time waits for no one except for them while they're having a conversation. Right, except for in that very specific scene where time is quite literally waiting for them to stop whatever they're doing. Uh, yeah, she shouldn't remember that, but you know, because of this cinematic trickery, the audience is supposed to be none the wiser. But it was really his time leap. She should have no memory, no of memory it. of it. But yeah, she does. She has a memory of it, and um, and now she's trying to time leap back to before he time leaps, so that so she can, that she can see him, so that she can see him and give him back his time leap, so that he can time leap of his own volition back home. Right. But then he says this whole thing, like while time has stopped, we didn't even talk about this. While time has stopped, he says that because someone else found out about time leaping, like someone from the past, her Mm. specifically, uh, he says that he has to go back, even though he doesn't have any time leaps left. So he has to go back. He has to go back. He says that he's going to disappear tomorrow is how he puts it. Which makes me think that the future people are retrieving him. Right. I mean, that's the only assumption that you can get. If he's out of time leaps and he can't go back on his own, then then it has to mean that some greater power, like people from the future or something, are monitoring his time leaping and are going to get him and bring him back, I guess, to their era, which kind of takes away the whole sad feeling you get when you're like, oh my God, he can't go back to his era, except that he can go back to his era. Yeah, all he has to do is be like, hey, time travel exists. Oh, gotta go. Oh, gotta go. They're going to snatch me up now. (laughs) Um, But the other thing, and this is the one, this was the big kicker that really annoyed me. I am sure we have passed July 13th in some of her other timelines. Yes. I am 100% positive of it because we see the painting restored. We see time passed, oh, by time the way. Makoto way, yeah, way watches past. Chiaki and, Several days and Yudi least, yeah. hanging out. 
Um, if time has passed beyond July 13th, and it's not in Chiaki's ability to travel back to his own home era upon learning that someone has uh, learned of his time leaping, but that a great pow- a greater power is watching them and will know because the greater power, it's not like he contacted somebody. They, they know that someone has learned about time leaping. Right. And they're going to take him away. How does he exist in any of these timelines beyond July 13th? I don't know. How does he exist at all? Maybe, maybe, maybe he has to tell someone specific, like he has to say it to them. Which seems really strange to me because, like him just telling someone about it, seems a lot. I don't know. Less harmful than letting someone else get the ability to time leap. Well, it seems like a lot less verifiable, like to whatever future person is watching, than the like they're listening to his every word, right? Like. but instead, if you think about the device <clears throat> giving another human body a charge, and they're like, "Well, this oh my is gosh, not this has him. been charged, and it's not the right body." Yeah, then it's someone that shouldn't right? be using it. That that makes sense yeah. as something that you could quantify, something you could keep <laughs> records and statistics on, or something. Yeah, but but listening to his every word, and he's not. <laughs> See, but it just... we're, st- we're still dwelling on plot holes, and that's what I feel like. This, it's been most of this episode is us being like the time traveling doesn't make sense, and that's a very geeky way to approach this. But I'm 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 sticking that with my biggest complaint is is her character, her th- the, this, you know the central theme, the idea that she's directionless, and that's not good. I also have to say that that Chiaki said he stayed up all night worrying that someone was using his nut for time leaping for foul reasons <laughs> but but he never d- he this is july 13th he couldn't have stayed up all night yet that's true unless it unless been... he lost it before but then that means that the shadowy figure she saw in the science lab who Wasn't then him? we assume dropped the nut was not him right so who the hell was it yudi what because she comes in later no that's a different timeline she only came in because makoto forgot, forgot to bring the, the papers yeah that's right so in the in the timeline where she actually remembered the papers, brought them to the science room, and there was a shadowy figure. There was in no there. Yudi there. What? It has to be him, which means he has to have dropped the nut, which means that God. he couldn't have stayed up all night Get worrying your about shit it. Together, movie. What? <laughs> I think these are such easy fixes too. That's like the there's thing. such little like they feel. It's making it confusing for no reason. Yeah, they feel they feel nitpicky, but it feels like it makes the movie kind of confusing, and and you don't. I don't know. You okay, so you don't know exactly what's intentional and what's not as far as the mistakes go. So her aunt um, told her, encouraged her to go meet Chiaki. Her aunt was the one who encouraged yes. her because her aunt starts telling her story about when she was in whatever her school days. Um, in the books, I think it's her third year of junior high, which would make her like ninth grade. I just want to say that this sequence here of her running through the city, there's no score and it's just breathing. Must have been a really awkward day for this voice actress. Yeah, but I love I love the vid. Yes, the the sound effect is just wonderful. But um, the visual, though, I love here. I love the camera, like looking like it's losing her because she's not able to keep up. But then her running really fast and her like getting ahead of the camera. Right, I think that's actually fun. right before this. I, I there was a, a line that uh, Kolsky says to her. Uh, he says, look ahead of you when you're running. And I think it is the most subtly meaningful line in the entire movie and more or less describes Makoto's character arc. And I think that that's probably more along the lines of, of something. what you want to see. That's what I want this character to be. I don't want it to be you're directionless and that's, that's bad. I want it to be you're a little 
You're a little bit of a mess. You're a bit of a mess. You're, Just you're, pay attention. You're hard-headed and you don't pay attention. You're a little bit stubborn, and that's the thing that you need to tweak, but the movie doesn't... doesn't re- is, it, is it not concerned about fixing that part of her character? The movie wants her to have it all figured out, and that's the problem mm, that I have. Yeah. I definitely had it all figured out when I was 17. Oh, yeah, totally. I definitely, <laughs> definitely knew where I was going with everything in life. Um but, but so what I wanted to say, though, about the ant uh, in the scene where we saw like the lavender and the clock in the picture on the shelf, the ant says to Makoto, you aren't like me, she says, if if someone was late because she's talking about um, in the original story, in the first story, yeah. the the same thing essentially happened to the ant where this boy from the future promised to meet her again. But we can see that that never happened in this version, the sequel version of the story. We can see that her boy from the future never came to meet her. Right. She's still alone. She's not married. Um, and we see uh, the ant says, if someone was late, you'd run out to meet them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so I feel like the aunt is saying, you know, you're you're different from me, so you're going to have this, you're going to make this a happy ending. You aren't going to be an old maid like me. But we see Makoto, first it looks like, yeah, she's different than her aunt. She's running out. She's literally running to meet Chiaki. But the story ends exactly the same as it did for her aunt. She's not any different from her aunt no. because she's going to be left to simply just miss Chiaki forever. Even if she does, he promises, he says, I'll wait for you in the future or something yeah. like that. Um, isn't know, that a line from Howl's Moving Castle? It is. It might be. <laughs> find me. No, find me in the future. Yeah. Um, even if she does meet him in the future like he promises, she'll be way older than him. And that part of her life where they could have had a relationship like she wanted will be totally past. So have, you, have you heard the all of the, um, I guess, their theories, fan theories about what actually is happening in this movie? None of them are really substantiated. There's a there's a whole theory that completely ignores the idea that her aunt is the character from the first, uh, the original story, rather. Mm-hmm. And instead that her aunt is her from the future. That huh. her aunt apparently like came back. Well, I mean, in time. I can see that. I can see that from like this moment here where she promises that she'll save the painting for him, so right. that so that he'll be able to see it in the future. Now that ties into another theory that Chiaki is a time traveling con artist, and what he does is he travels to different time periods. Uh, you know, starting from the past, starting from you know her aunt, or maybe even before her aunt, and falling in love with a girl and convincing that girl. At like having her guide her life, having her basically make a promise to him that she will restore the painting or that she will see that the painting is restored. And then he jumps back and sees whether or not the painting has shown up in his timeline. And if it's not, then he jumps back again to, you know, wherever the painting was last lost. And he finds another person and he tries to convince that girl by having her fall in love with him that she will uh, promise to. I think that's really giving too much credit to his character. <laughs> it's like giving too much credit to the writing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's that. that's one of the theories is that Chiaki is just, uh, it's kind of sadistic, like it's a con artist, kind of like he's a bad person type of thing where... Yeah, I don't really feel like there's much of he's, anything he's, that He's actually the boy that uh, that her aunt fell in love with and that he's you know the reason that she went on to be an art restorer. But I don't get it. What's, what, what is his gain from this that he gets to so look the, at it in so the future? The, so that the yeah, so that the painting will be res- will be preserved until his time. 
And then he goes home and the painting is there because that's all he wants is the painting. So, like, who's paying him to do this? I mean, con artists are making a living off of being con artists. Well, so, right. so his <laughs> his living is that, like, the museums or maybe, something maybe, are paying him? Maybe he's, like, a, like, an art thief or something in the future. Or and so he's going to, of... but then he's got to steal the painting when he gets back to the future. That sounds well, like a big pain the, in the it's ass. It's easier to steal a painting that actually exists than one that doesn't. True, so. but... There's a lot of buildup, a lot of setup to something that... And may... we assume that all these people have these time-leaping devices and they can just run around and change shit whenever the they want. The implications of that alone <laughs> are just like... Are just terrifying. The fact that this 17-year-old, 17-year-old, a teenager, a, a child basically... A minor. A minor. <laughs> Can just so easily procure at least two time traveling devices because he had one before and, and he lost he the second recharge, one. His, yeah, his recharge. Recharge nut. Um, <laughs> never gets old. Uh, so uh. if a seventeen year old has the freedom to just jump back and forth willy nilly and within time, who all else is doing this? Yeah, right. And if you come from such a future well, that's I mean, so like desolate he, and terrible, they don't even have baseball and shit like that. How are you getting like where? Where's why did, the technology where are the resources from? Yeah, to, create the resources these, to create these these nuts? Um, but like like he even these nuts. He even when she when she's first like, oh, you're I know what this is all about. This is for time leaping or whatever. He's like, are you from the future? Like he assumes that he can just run into people who are also from the future using these time leaping nuts. Making it seem like like it's rampant, like everyone's just using them. It's like, oh yeah. It's all. Oh, also, by the way, if you're from the future, it's cool to dye your hair a different color. Yes. 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 That's, that's also how apparently you know. this is a totally different like parallel reality where it's also okay to have an earring in high school in Japanese yes. high school. Yes. Kosuke and has be an a earring. boy too, like not just to have an earring, but be a boy who has an Girls earring. Girls aren't even allowed to have earrings in like high school. Like normal piercings, not like crazy piercings. Yes. In, just in Japanese high school, you are not you allowed take it out. to. You're not allowed to have piercings. You're not allowed to wear makeup. You're not, to have, have, allowed, to have not allowed to have any, tattoos. Any unnatural, of course not. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, nobody has tattoos here. So yeah. um, that's not true. Not nobody, but. Yeah. People do. But yeah, that's a whole different thing. Um, yeah. So this must be just like a crazy cool school where they can yeah, just do man. Man, anything they want. I mean, I could see a kid who has like a different hair color like that being told that he has to dye his hair. Did you like the little little cock tease moment where? Oh yeah, where it looked like we were gonna get a kiss, but instead we well, got a pat on the head. Thanks, thanks to the magic of two D animation, when they move toward each other like that, it appears as though they're going to kiss, but in fact he passes her head because they're just two cells like rubbing against each other on either side. Two cells rubbing against each other. That's deep. That's deep as fuck. We're just two cells <clears throat> rubbing Almost against each other. Almost as deep as his his nut being empty and, and not, <laughs> I don't know where I was going with it. Um, yeah, but but yeah, they, they looked like they were going to kiss, but of course it. And then he hugs her and gives her a and pat pats on, on the, the head. head. Gives a little scratch scratch on the top of her head. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, that's right. We're watching a Japanese movie. I would have forgotten, except that. God forbid anyone kiss. In, God forbid. In a movie about young love. Uh, how dare they? I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Kosuke wants to be with this girl because he values and respects her, you know, like on the same level as him. 
Definitely. We see her running after the ball, being completely incapable of even like standing up on her own. And this is a guy that's super serious about baseball and Jessica, super you, serious you, you, about... You do realize that we started this episode saying, we both really like this movie. And you were like, I love this movie. And this entire time we've been like, listen to how much this movie sucks. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it really doesn't. I think it's we need to beautiful. Clear, we need to clear the air. Why is this still an enjoyable movie? Because it is still an enjoyable movie to me. I think this is a fun watch. Okay, but one totally last thing. One last thing before before we clear the air. Um, the moral I get from this ending I here. I want to talk about this too, but go ahead. The moral I get from this ending here of him like of like Kosuke still hanging out with this not Maho Kaho girl. Oh yeah. Um. Uh. And and Chiaki being gone. The moral is, it's just better to stay friends with your guy friends and never let it lead to a romantic relationship. Always make sure you date people who don't know you and who have nothing in common with you because then you're less likely to have any fun. And we have to remember to do everything in moderation because we can't be too happy since that's selfish. So. It's very interesting that moderation has been kind of a theme of our anime month so far, because that was kind of central to our discussion of Akita last week. And it's kind of made its way into this discussion, too, is that, I don't know, I guess I guess Japan is really quite a moderate moderate society. And it's so ingrained I mean, that obviously I mean, it yes. is. But but it's when you start digging into why things are the way they are and the why they construct narratives and characters that are supposed to resonate in a certain way. It's very transparent. You can see the ways in which the characters are supposed to resonate and be sympathetic characters. But they are they are supposed to do that based on principles that maybe a Western audience doesn't necessarily share. Hmm. And that's I don't know, that's kind of where I come to an impasse with this. Um, but the things that we love about this movie, um, I love the way it looks. I love the way it makes me feel. I love the voice acting in this movie. I think they yeah, do a great job. Are great. Yeah, um, visually great. I think it's beautiful. I think it's I I think it's uh, nostalgic in just the right ways mm -hmm. for me. I, I know it gets a little overly sentimental, nostalgic in some scenes. I don't give a shit about any of this stuff with Chiaki's like nostalgic stuff, but um, but like her household, her family, her her pudding stuff yeah. like that. I really love it. I I I really like the characters, but that is to say, I don't like their characterization completely. And we've talked about that. You know, we've we've worn it out. But just because I like how the characters walk and talk and act and interact with one another doesn't necessarily mean I have to like how they're characterized. And that's where my big problem is. My my biggest takeaway from this movie is is thus. In the last scene, Makoto says that she knows what she's going to do from now on. And like we said before, she never says what that is exactly. It's just the idea that she has a next step, right? I'm afraid that the insinuation of Makoto's revelation that she knows what she's going to do from now on just plays into the developmentally pernicious attitude that children need to have their lives figured out at an unreasonably early age, especially here. Uh, I mean, we didn't talk about our experience with the school system all that much, but... But we've both had a lot. We've had a lot, and uh, it's... It it's I don't know it's it can be troubling sometimes and that's a whole what children podcast. are ex what is ex is expected of children but that's a whole another to podcast. discuss yeah exactly um, Makoto is framed from the very beginning as a reasonably smart reasonably graceful and reasonably happy girl with minor even enduring fault endearing rather endearing faults mm. right. Uh, the film tells us that she is now, at the end of the movie, a better person because she looks ahead when she's running or she's careful when she's running around. And those are quotes from the movie. Refusing, and the movie kind of refuses to allow a teenage girl to be a little directionless. And I hate that. Yeah. I just don't get it. And it it, it bothers me to no end. But apart but from that, 
it's a f- perfectly fun movie to watch. Very cute, very sweet. Uh, uh, the science fiction elements are. It's fun that they're there. Like I like. It's that fun they're that there. they're there, but it does kind of feel like they didn't really. They didn't really plan ahead. Uh, oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. I'm going to let that be the last word. Is that okay? That's fine. All right. Now that we've reached the end of the movie, we'd like to read a five-star review that we received on iTunes. This review comes from Ribald Rob Ford with the subject line, Excellent Show. And Ribald Rob Ford writes, After hearing their advert on the projection booth, I decided to check out the podcast. I found it to be absolutely wonderful, very funny and insightful, dealing with an interesting cross-section of movies. I don't think I've ever heard another podcast discuss The Dead Zone, for example. It's well worth your time. Thank you very much for that. Awesome. Thank you. If you'd like to leave us a rating and review on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. And if it's a five-star review, we'll even read it on the show. As always, you can find us on our website at popcornpoops.com. Please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook if you'd like to receive updates about the show, including our weekly movie still identification game. If you have a question, comment, or movie request for us, you can reach us on our social media outlets or by emailing us at thepopcornpoops at gmail.com. Next week, we'll be continuing our month of anime films with Satoshi Kon's Perfect Blue from 1997. If you have any questions about that movie or related topics you'd like us to discuss, please contact us through social media or email. Thanks for listening, and until next time, take care. Bye-bye. We are the Popcorn Poops. Hi, I'm Mike White. And I'm Rob St. Mary. And we're the hosts of the Projection Booth Podcast. If you haven't heard of the Projection Booth, that's okay. But we think it's time that you have. We've been doing this for over three years now. And we think we're doing a pretty good show. Every week we look at a different film and put it in context. We try to bring you interviews with the people behind the films. Or experts on a subject matter covered in the film. We don't specialize in any one particular genre or type of film. We try to examine every aspect of cinema. From every corner of the globe. Even at three years, we barely just scratched the surface. But we're ready. We're ready for you to listen to us. That's right. Now's the time to give us a shot. Download us through our free smartphone app. Or through Stitcher, iTunes, Geek Juice Radio, Jackalow. Or our website. Projection-booth.com. We'll keep making great shows. Now it's your turn to listen to them.